Foster. Live from the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios at 44th and O, morning radio for the entire capital city. This is LNK Today with Jack and Friends on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, welcome back. <laughs> Anything happened since we were uh, together last on Monday morning? No, here we are. Tuesday, November 9th, 2021, 43 degrees in the capital city. And you've got to tune to LNK today with Jack and Friends. I'm Jack Mitchell. To my right is Caleb Henry, Mark Vale in the KLIN news group, uh, newsroom. Times here for traffic. Chris Lofkin will be joining us very shortly. Um, well, we've got some time to talk today. We've got some time for us to talk. We've got some time for you to talk. You want to communicate with us? We do have the Rick Stein recognition Text line 402-479-1400 when time allows. You can also give us a call on that as well. We'll uh, talk to you on the air today. So shoot us a text uh, or maybe a call with your thoughts on what was a pretty big news day in the world of Nebraska football and, by extension, the entire state of Nebraska with Scott Frost returning per an announcement, a joint announcement yesterday by Scott Frost and Trev Alberts restructuring his contract we can get into the details of that but an announcement by both of them that scott frost will be retained for the time being and then hours later minutes later a couple hours later uh, a couple hours later an announcement that scott frost uh, and company were going to part ways with several members of the offensive coaching staff well the entire Offensive coaching staff save the tight ends coach. Right. And so. And uh, possibly future uh, wide receivers coach. Right. So that would include uh, your your offensive coordinator in Lubick, your quarterback's coach in in Verdusco, Ryan Held, Mm -hmm. um, the master recruiter and the the running backs coach, and um, everybody else. Greg Greg Austin is. And Greg Austin, offensive line coach. Uh, He's offensive line and run game coordinator. Besides offensive coordinator, Lubick was wide receivers coach. Right. So, literally, the only position you have covered this week on the offensive side of the ball is your tight ends. Okay. But I've got some ideas on how to restructure where guys are coaching going forward. So we, we can get into that. So that I, I just want to give everybody the nuts and bolts and things. The restructured agreement, uh, reduction in salary by a million dollars from $5 million to $4 million in 2022. Buyout cut in half to $7.5 million should Nebraska decide to get rid of him after the 2022 season. Those are the, mm-hmm. that's the, the generalities. We don't have details further beyond that, but those are the big numbers that were apparently agreed upon here in the restructuring of the contract, and so Nebraska, were they to get rid of him next year as opposed to this year, they would save, well, $7.5 million if you you do all the math there. And no, as some dum-dums were trying to say on the internet yesterday, it's not now a one-year contract. It's not a year-to-year contract. He's still under contract for a few years, guys. Right. It's all it has changed are the the numbers next to the dollar signs. It it sounds like although there could be some detail about the changes of the salary in future years that we don't because there were suggestions from from Alberts uh in his conversations with some of the print media that there may be more incentive laden salary right. items going forward. So so that that's where one you you drop the the salary its base number 
But there's incentives, so you can get right back up to things, and the buyout is lower. Right. Um, and also by dropping the salary, a lot of times you, you see administrations look at not just the head coach, but the entire coaching staff as one big pool of money. Right, right. Maybe you pay assistants a little bit more to come in. Yeah. Um, then Alberts talked last, uh, night. last night on on the radio here on, on KLIN on Sports Nightly. He talked, did sit-down interviews with the print media here in the state. We're hopeful maybe he will talk to us here before this week is actually over. The notable things, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you, and you can tell me what you found notable out of all of the things he had to say after this was all over. But number one, he said that it was not a, he did not require that Scott Frost make staff changes. And he said he's not going to be that guy to right. require it. Part of those staff changes were from the conversations that Alberts had with Frost about his vision for the program. And Frost's vision for the program included staff changes. Now, maybe maybe that vision when you go in to have that meeting is saying, how do I keep my job? <laughs> my vision is now going to include staff changes. Maybe it didn't before. But that that is where it's at. Um, and they're all on the offensive side of the ball. Alberts also talked, and I'll have this in sports, about how the decision is not blind loyalty. How it's not just... Here's a native son, here's a former Husker, and we're just going to give him the benefit of the doubt for another year. He did say, though, that as long as he's in charge, they are going to err on the side of being loyal to the guys they have here. So so there is a little bit of loyalty to it, but it's maybe a little bit more on the he's able to see, and, and Albert's talked about this, that he's able to see what some of that progress on guys not just folding up because the season's gone, you know? Um, and that was one of the things we talked about the last couple of weeks was Frost can retain his job even without the win results that you want over the last few weeks if the team is not folding, if they're still coming out and fighting for their coach uh, because that would show the foundation for a good for a good culture, for a good structure that you want going forward. And Alberts has recognized that, and he said that's part of the reason that he wants to stay loyal to what the program has been building. He also added, you do got to get the wins. That is something that has to come around. Um, there's still opportunity this year, but he said it, it's a big year next year. Dave just texts in the buyout is the number people aren't talking about enough. The buyout just went from $15 million, $7.5 million, as we said. Essentially, Frost just bet $7.5 million on himself that he's going to turn it around next year. Yeah. We talked about this yesterday, and and um, it, Caleb, you thought that, that um, Frost – I don't. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I had suggested. <laughs> I had suggested maybe a contract restructuring might make sense here. Now you should tag me next time you subtweet. And me. I, well, I wanted to save it for the air. Oh, you, you thought I wasn't going to mention it? I was definitely going to mention it. And it turns out, if you were listening to the show about eight forty-five yesterday, mm-hmm. I laid out a scenario by where I thought if you restructure the contract, make it as essentially have the university tied up less in him, that might be a scenario where you're willing to go forward with this this mm-hmm. thing. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Right. Now, there were now, it wasn't just you, by the way. There no, no, were, no, I had I several texts at the time to me that said, there's no way Frost will do that. Right. There's no way, Fro- it, there's it, no it, way he'll do that. Here's the big difference is Scott Frost is clearly a bigger man than I because he went and he bet those $7.5 million on himself. I was saying, if I was Frost agent or if I was Frost, I'm not restructuring that contract because there's a certain amount of money that I'm saying, if you guys are keeping me or you guys are letting me go, 
I've got this signed, and I'm getting this money. Yeah, that's true. You could I want to be here, and I want to coach. You could have said, fire me. Give me, the, give me my 15 mil right kind, now. Kind of the Bo Pelini move. Yeah. Give me <laughs> like, my 15 mil right now instead of cutting that in half for next year. Because that's a net loss, even with his salary next year. Right. Yeah, so, and think about, I know that the, the, the numbers are giant once you're into that coaching world and where things are, but... You've talked about what it would take in like the lottery for you to feel comfortable for the rest of your life. And if all of a sudden, if today mm-hmm. management came down and said, Jack, we're letting you go, mm-hmm. but here's $15 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, are we that upset <laughs> like, but like by the situation? Uh, yeah. It, I mean, at some point, I, at, at some point you get, first of all, you get enough money where that it does, you're going to be okay no matter what. Right. We can go back and look, though. It was a bad deal by Bill Moose on a coach who had one winning season as a head coach. Like, like if, if you look at the, all the variables and remove Scott Frost's name from the equation, it was kind of a bad contract. Well, so so right now it's Trev's a lot, out of it now. Yeah, Trev's, I mean, sort of. He's right. out of it, out of the. It's a lot more that. reasonable to both sides. Yeah. On on the side of Scott Frost, you still have millions of dollars that are there. You still have a job and. You can still turn things around to where you continue that job into another contract. It can get restructured, added onto if things do turn around. And from the university side, you've saved yourself some money at, at a time when every penny is being pinched. Yeah, this quote uh, in the the interview with the Journal Star from Trev: "The university is taking risk in bringing Scott back. Right? There's risk. I thought it was important that we mitigate some of our risk with him taking some risk." At the end of the day, there's no guarantee of success, but in my experience, if two parties have equal skin in the game, I've learned that from some of my business leader mentors. All hands are on deck. Uh, you've, uh, let's see, you've got a better and more reasonable chance for success. The, the reason I suggested it yesterday is because Frost is betting on the idea. If he still wins this bet that he believes that he is going to and can turn this thing around, and they are close right. and they are ready to pop, it's still going to be better long-term financially for him mm-hmm. than if he says goodbye at the end of this season, collects the 15 mil, doesn't get, you know, and that, that all happens. It still, it still gives him that opportunity if he truly believes the odds are in his favor to do that, right. which, is, which is why I, you know, you play off that in a negotiation. You do. So anyway. Should, th- should the assistant coaches have been changed out before the season started? Uh, some, I mean, let's see, was there I mean, any it, changes prior to this season? None of the ones who got dismissed were new. No. So all four, um, had worked with Frost in the past. Three of them came with Frost from UCF. And then the other one being Lubick joined the team in 2020 and he'd worked with Frost in Oregon, okay. um, okay. several years back. So they'd all been personal connections. That's where I'm going to be curious. And we, we can look into this a little bit more, um, We've got a couple open segments to talk about it, but mm-hmm. where do you go for some of these assistants? Do they have to have a Nebraska connection or a Scott Frost connection? Mm-hmm. We, we've seen that that be an issue. Here's the other question. If you look at the outside looking in, and the outside looking in, and probably rightfully so, is that this is a put up or shut up here for Scott Frost. How hard is it going to be to get an assistant here? Mm-hmm. Knowing that it could just be a one-year gig. Right, right. How that you could, you know, if things don't go well, if you don't hit the ground running, it could be one and done for you. How much is that going to handicap any kind of a uh, uh, search for assistance? What does so, it do about for recruiting? Yeah, what is that's another one too. 
because that, it, that's going to be right now. It's hard. You'd be hard pressed to say, "Oh yeah, he's definitely going to be here four to, four years down the road." At some point, and I don't know, and maybe you know, maybe Trev is really going to see this thing out and really try and uh, y- y- you know work with Frost systemically, and and if next year is below expectations, that still isn't going to be the the end of it. But at some point, at some point, if the wins don't come. You're going to have a PR nightmare mm-hmm. if it keeps going. You can't. I mean, you're getting close. You're getting close to it now. You bought a little bit of time, but I don't think you. I just don't think that works. Essentially, boosters, donors, that's going to start to be impacted. So a lot more we we'll can see. get into before the segment wraps up. Mark, did anything happen in news yesterday? Uh, yeah. We left you like two minutes. Yeah. Well, yeah, Bailey Boswell. Yes, yep. And and right now, LFR and LPD working. Uh, what sounds like a pretty serious accident, 52nd and South Street. Oh, okay. So that's not too far to, from us here. I used to live, uh, first house I lived in in Lincoln was right in that area. Uh, they're, uh, they're, they've just dispatched uh, a lot of crew to that area, so I'll find out more. But um, okay. Yesterday, uh, Bailey Boswell sentenced to life in prison. Yeah. Uh, two of the judges. It was a split decision, a split and it's got to dis- be unanimous. Yeah, right. Uh, so it sounded like the majority wanted the death penalty. Yeah. Uh, and so that. But you know, it was interesting. The defense attorney afterwards talked about just being openly surprised that uh, uh, didn't think a split decision would be on the table here. Yeah, um, and, and but not so. just looking at the same save evidentiary facts. Yeah. Uh, the other big news, I would say, probably a uh, return of the COVID nineteen daily dashboard or the daily stats from the state hospitalizations up to ten percent of capacity at just over four hundred. They're not changing or not reinstituting a DHM on elective surgeries. That's okay. off the table. But that dashboard has got a lot more information than it did originally. <laughs> oh. It is really. Off to take a look at it. Yeah. Uh, the link's in the show sheet. Okay. Um, but and, and they're adding flu and RSV data as well. So. All right, turning this thing on and off all the time is ridiculous, yes, by the way. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, w- just leave it on. Leave it on. Come on. Just so, just leave it on. So those those were the uh, the the big things uh, from yesterday. Any right. other dashboards have gone away that are going to come back? Um, I don't know. What, any, what do you mean? <laughs> well, I don't know. Just take away the the statistics being shared. Bring them back. Take away the entire state the, COVID dashboard. The bring one, it yeah. back. The one thing that I did oh, notice. Wow, they do have a lot more on this and, thing. And if you uh, go to the county. Um, yeah, that's stats. the one that was the most interesting to me. Right, and all you have to do is uh, hover over the county, and the stats pop right up. Yeah, that's that. That I use that a lot. Yes. before they took it away last time. So uh, on this, yeah, there's a, the, but there's a lot of stuff on this. By day. the way, Lancaster County updated on that: seventy-four percent, twelve plus, fully vaccinated. Uh, uh, case rate for Lancaster County: four hundred twenty-eight per uh, per hundred k per hundred thousand. Four twenty-eight. Douglas, if you want to compare, three forty for a hundred. Okay, which is still interesting. SARP 437. Yeah, and we've still got a directed health measure. Yeah. Case. Enough said. All right, 624. That's it. A lot going on there, that opening segment. Your thoughts are welcome today. What do you think? Did Trev make the right call? Texas on the Rick Stein Recognition Hotline, 402-479-1400. A lot more discussion to come after this. You're listening to Lincoln's News and Talk, 1499.3 KLIN. It's where I get all my news. Where I get all my news. Where I get all my news. Get today's top news and sports directly to your inbox. Sign up for the daily 
at KLIN.com. Alert team meteorologist Brittany Foster. It's the weekly fantasy draft that could win you a whole lot more. Time to play Fantasy Huskers on LNK Today with Jack and Friends. I think I hung up on our uh, 14th caller, so Caleb's getting him back on the line. You would think I, I I know how to run this thing now and the complexities of pushing the right buttons and not pushing the wrong buttons, but apparently, I, I mean, it's it's pretty complex. It's pretty complex, so sometimes I make mistakes, but it looks like we've got uh, Dale back on the line here. We are playing Fantasy Huskers, your chance to win a staycation in Lincoln, $50 to Valentino's, a night stay at the Corner Husker Marriott, and a free round of golf at Adventure Golf. But you've got to make a prediction normally about the week's football game. But since we have no football game this week, we thought, hey, what better way to kick off a little uh, basketball season than by making a Husker basketball fantasy Huskers? And they do have their first game tonight. Now, we are not talking about tonight's game no. with fantasy Huskers. We're because talking about it game would be, two. We are talking about game two when they play Sam Houston State. Now, tonight they play Western Illinois. This may change your analysis. But on Friday night, they play Sam Houston State. We want to know how many points Nebraska scores against Sam Houston State on Friday. Yeah, people who go a little bit later in the week, they'll have they'll have the first night to look at for a little bit of a sample. So maybe an advantage. Granted, maybe. we, we got to see what they could do against Peru State and Colorado. Right. Yeah, we did. I we feel did. like you got enough kind of sample. Now, maybe something goes wrong and you give yourself more variance because of tonight. That's true. We will uh, we'll see. So anyway, uh, and by the way, 97 in the first game is Peru State, 82 against Colorado. If you are wanting a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a sample to look at, uh, Dale was caller 14. Then I hung up on him. Then we called him back, and now he's here with us. Morning, Dale. How you doing? Fine, thank you. Sorry for hanging up on you. I didn't. It wasn't personal. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, it's up to you. How many points do you think Nebraska basketball scores on Friday against Sam Houston State? I believe it's going to be. 79 points. 79 points. That is available. You are down for 79, Dale. We will call you if you win, if you hit it on the nose, or you are closest. Best of luck, all right? Thank you very much. Have a good day. All right, there you go. Enjoy. Dale is in. Hey, we haven't made our picks yet. With 79. Okay, you want to do that? Yeah. Uh, Let's see. I will say, I think it's going to be a lot. I'm going 91. That's in the neighborhood, I'm thinking. Yeah. I will go... I'll go eighty-eight. I'll go just a little below you. Yeah, we're going. But, we're going ninety spot, right? Yeah, that feels right. That area. Just, just out of curiosity, I'm looking at uh, at Ken Palm um, just to see who uh, these these games that Nebraska basketball plays. Western Illinois. Just I'm just trying to. I know they're not. Uh, you know, like top tier team. Western Illinois is two hundred fortieth. Uh-huh. Uh, Sam Houston State is one hundred ninety-six. So according to that. Uh, T- Friday is the tougher game mm-hmm. of the two than than tonight. But we'll see. It's yeah, but Colorado wasn't bad. No, Colorado in those same rankings is up at uh, let's see, they're in the top thirty, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, thirty five. They're at thirty five in those same rankings. All right, uh, let's jump into the sound off. Let's go. A look at news from both inside and outside of Lincoln and conversation on how that news affects us here. It's time for the sound off on LNK Today. All right, we got a lot to get to news-wise today. The DOJ not too happy 
at the judicial system, putting the vaccine mandate for private companies over 100 employees on hold. What do they have to say about it? Let's find out. Federal appeals court is drawing the ire of the Justice Department after the court issued a stay on the administration's requirement for workers at companies with 100 or more employees to get the shot or face weekly testing. Now, the DOJ issuing a statement saying the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA's detailed analysis of the standards impact shows that a stay would likely cost dozens or even hundreds of lives per day. Petitioners asserted injuries, by contrast, are speculative and remote and do not outweigh the interest in protecting employees from a dangerous virus while this case proceeds. Now, the state comes after numerous lawsuits to halt the mandate's implementation, which the White House is defending. All right. It feels like this thing's going to be going in, going on in court well into 2022. Um before OSHA has a chance to enact these things. But that's that's where it's at right now. It's judicially on hold for the time being. Uh, all right, what else do we have going on? Okay, so you, you remember uh, all the years of discussion about the Keystone Pipeline, the back and forth about the Keystone Pipeline here, and then finally uh, TransCanada pulls back on that thing after not being able to have any success with the Biden administration. Well, now there's another Canadian pipeline that is uh, potentially potentially not going to be operating anymore um, after its interactions with the Biden administration. The Biden administration has said that it's going to wait on a full environmental review before it makes any decisions on this Line 5 pipeline. It was back in June when the Army Corps of Engineers announced that it was beginning its own survey and an impact statement of the pipeline running from Canada through Michigan. Environmentalists and indigenous groups continue to call for its closure to prevent any potential spill bills near the Great Lakes, but caught in the crosshair, of course, is the financial cost of what all of this could mean, especially as critics point to already soaring gas prices. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a tough pull politically right now because of the gas prices and and what they are, wherever you stand on it. It makes more of a difficult political pull, though, because of that. Uh, This is fascinating. Uh, You remember some of those ransomware attacks uh, over the summer? And uh, we had we had talked about those and I had joked about my elite nerd team of hackers that would counter hack the hackers. Well, it didn't really necessarily happen like that, but they got some of these jerks that um, (laughs) that make life miserable here for people trying to use computers at certain companies. The U.S. Justice Department is charging a Ukrainian national for alleged roles in the R-Evil cyber gang linked to ransomware attacks on a number of U.S. companies and utilities, including tech firm Kaseya. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland says Yaroslav Vazinski was arrested in Poland. Vazinski's arrest demonstrates how quickly we will act alongside our international partners to identify, locate, and apprehend alleged cyber criminals. Vysinski's ransom demands totaled more than $760 million. (laughs) Evan Brown, Fox News. That would be a lot of Scott Frost buyouts. And then that's where you came out and you said, you know what? A hundred. A hundred million (laughs) dollars, and the ransom's on you. Yes! (laughs) The Mel Gibson turn it around. It's not a ransom, it's a bounty on your head. Which, by the way, what his name was what? Kaczynski? I guarantee you. Yaroslav? I guarantee he had some, like, dark web nickname type thing, like Night Marauder or something like that, that he really went by in the hacking world. If it sounds like I, if it sounds like um, I've got even more venom against the ransomware people than I do your everyday criminals, it's because we've been through a ransomware attack here. 
You're the worst for yeah. doing that. I don't think he would have had like a, a really sweet handle. You don't think so? I think Yoroslav would have been pretty Borislav with his handle. <laughs> Dark skull. I don't know. I just I just feel like all the, these hacker guys. I, I just want to hack the hackers. That's all I want to do. Uh, all right. Hacker man. What else do we have here? Oh, travel reopening. Yeah. Hey, it's time to travel into the United States from other countries. Into the unknown. Or, or <laughs> no, here. Don't do that. <laughs> no, into the known. Yes. The United States. International travelers who have proof of vaccination are once again allowed to enter the U.S. That's more than 20 months restricting air travel from Europe, Latin America, and Asia. Today's new international travel policy is again wide open for everyone with proof of vaccine. Industry analysts and the airlines are predicting a new surge in travelers, which will likely mean longer lines to get through customs and checking in for outbound flights. International arrivals will also be required to show a negative COVID test, even if they've been vaccinated. The less restrictive new travel rules also apply to those entering the country by sea and land from Canada and Mexico. At Miami International Airport, Phil Keating, Fox News. I'm going to be honest. I, I did not realize that was still going on here, that right now they just finally dropped those uh-huh. restrictions after all of that time. As I said, what, 20 months uh, of this whole thing. Uh, all right, what else do we have going on here? Oh, <laughs> The uh, the Aaron Rodgers blowback continues uh, after. By the way, he he. So they uh, they started his backup against Kansas City, uh, Jordan Love, and you know part of Aaron Rodgers' discontent, not related to the COVID vaccine thing, but part part of Aaron Rodgers' discontent was that they spent the draft pick getting a quarterback, Jordan Love from Utah State, in instead of more help for him on the offense, and maybe it's his heir apparent at the Packers. Well, judging from Love's performance against the Chiefs, Rodgers didn't ever have anything to worry about for uh, for, for eventually it, being replaced because it's not close between the two. No, it's not. It's a- at all at this point. But Rodgers has his own issues unrelated to playing quarterback right now. Uh, his suspension that continues until Saturday if he tests negative out of it and he can get playing again. But... He also may be losing some of that uh, sweet, sweet endorsement money. Aaron Rodgers' presence was not only missed in the Packers' loss Sunday at Kansas City, the three-time MVP quarterback who has COVID-19 was also a near no-show in TV ads for State Farm Insurance. Apex Marketing Group says while Rodgers had appeared in 25% of State Farm ads the previous two Sundays, yesterday he appeared in only 1.5% of State Farm ads. Last week, Rodgers tested positive for COVID-19. It was uncovered that he's unvaccinated. In August, he told reporters he's immunized. While one healthcare company in Wisconsin dropped Rodgers as an endorser Saturday, State Farm says it will stand by him. They noted in a statement to USA Today Sports, we don't support some of the statements he's made, but we respect his right to have his own personal point of view. We recognize our customers, employees, agents, and brand ambassadors come from all walks of life with differing viewpoints on many issues. Jared Max, Fox News. Uh, That was actually a pretty good statement. Um, (laughs) I would say, I'll I'll tell you what, Rogers or no, the insurance commercials are out of control during football. The amount (laughs) between... Between the the rod getting the Rogers rate, okay, uh, the Jake from State Farm guy, 
Uh, Rob Gronkowski acting like he's in a military family to get the military <laughs> rates. Right, that, 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 the USAA ones. Those are new over the last year. Oh, my gosh. But That's, the State Farm ones, you know why the State Farm ones are so in your face, right? Because I don't know. There's so many of them. The, the, the reason for that is because State Farm is not the official insurance of the league. But what they can do is they can get so many as endorsements. So they just go and get the highest profile ones. You've seen Rodgers, you've seen Patrick Mahomes, and they just slam it in your face. And then the Jake from State Farm, I mean, he is everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's on my TV more than, you know, more than anybody else at this point. <laughs> and every commercial right now is is the same. Every commercial is the same where it's someone thinks they're getting a special deal. And they're not really, but they continue to think they're getting spent. The Rogers rate, or the, I mean, or the cell phone ones with the uh, with the AT and T gal. Yeah, Every, everybody like, oh, I'm getting a special rate. No, you're not. Everybody gets it. That's a plot of eighty percent of commercials on TV right now. <laughs> commercials are in a bad spot. And then the only difference one is Rob Gronkowski, who doesn't understand that the uh, that the other insurance company is only for veterans and their families. I love how bad his acting oh, it's is, though. Oh, so bad. Oh, those are the worst. So, <laughs> the Monday Night Football commercials are terrible right Ooh, now. Oh, Brad and Fox Hollow with a good one. The Lemu. Lemu oh, the Lemu Emu. Emu. And Doug. And Doug. <laughs> Looks like we're walking, kid. I'm telling you. I want to count. Like, whatever happened to beer commercials? It is It is all insurance companies. Flow and then flow, the progr- flow, and then the other guy. Now the other guy from Progressive that they work in, who seems nerdy, but he also like knows martial arts and is right. has a you know a beautiful wife and all this stuff. <laughs> Plays classical guitar. We have learned so much about their own universes. The extended universe, <laughs> yes. yes. The extended insurance. Is there fan fiction about uh, about all these people? Don't dive into that. Don't go down <laughs> it that It probably exists. Hole. Is there Jake from State Farm fan fiction? Probably Jake from State Farm and Flo from Progressive. And that should be the uh, end of that conversation. <laughs> all right. What else do we have uh, going on here? Oh, yeah. This is interesting. Van Morrison. I'm a big uh, Van Morrison music fan. Uh, I think Moondance is one of the greatest albums of, of all time. Uh, but in his older age, he has become a very harsh critic of COVID restrictions. Mm-hmm. In fact, he, he's been writing songs about COVID restrictions, which he's <laughs> he's like sort of, you know, his old stuff is just so like artsy songwriter stuff. Then just to go so concrete about writing about COVID restrictions is just it's an interesting turn for him. But now he's gotten himself sued. Outspoken singer-songwriter Van Morrison is being sued by Northern Ireland's health minister. Morrison opposes COVID-19 restrictions to curb the spread of the virus and has released several anti-lockdown songs and denounced the health minister Robin Swan during a gathering at Belfast Europa Hotel in June after a Morrison concert was canceled because of coronavirus restrictions. Calling him a fraud and very dangerous, Swan responded in an article for Rolling Stone calling the claims bizarre and irresponsible. And his lawyers said legal proceedings are at an advanced stage. Morrison's lawyer said he would contest the claim. Michelle Polino, Fox News. Oh, man. I'm just going to go put on Moon Dance. Well, it's a marvelous night. Is that your is that your favorite song, Morrison? Uh, I don't know if that's my favorite song. That whole album, Into the Mystic, um, maybe. 
is really good. Greatest uh, song Van Morrison has ever been on. Strange with Tech Nine. What? He did a song with Tech Nine. Tech Nine's a rap group, by the way. Really? I need <laughs> yeah. to. I'll have to listen to that. I wasn't going to say that. That wasn't on my well, my list. So I went, and it stoned me as a good one because you know? because I went to college near St. Louis and East St. Louis. There was there was a lot more rap and hip hop going on, and mm-hmm. Tech Nine's from Kansas City, so just across the other side of the state. Yeah, they got Van Morrison. They, they got this. Tech Nine got Van Morrison. Well, I don't know. Elton John's on that pop song that I constantly hear now with Dua Lipa. I actually liked. I I actually dig that song. Mostly the Elton part. Well, yeah, but which is just two other Elton songs. But <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like, ooh, I hey, like the remix they did for these just, Elton songs. I ran into Elkent Walgamot at the football game uh, uh, yesterday, and I re- checked with him. He's, I said, Elton John's still on at Pinnacle Bank Arena? He said yes. So again, message out there to you, Elton, before you come to Lincoln, don't you go dying on me. What you I- be healthy, stay in a bubble, whatever you need to do. What I heard in all of that is Dua Lipa's coming to Lincoln. No. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah! That, speaking of commercials, Elton John and uh, Lil Nas X. That one is just I, that's for what like Uber Eats. Yeah, Uber Eats, and Elton needs money, and they're both riding the. You don't look broke. No, no. <laughs> here's what I don't under. Here's the biggest thing I don't understand about the commercial. You don't pay cash for Uber Eats. It, it, he no, it's all through the app. It's just he. Just, Elton's got his food on the app. He just pays on the app if he doesn't have money. That, that's a big plot hole in that commercial. I mean, there are plenty of issues, but that's a huge plot hole. It's just a, a it's a, it's an online payment. I, I, Elton. Lo- I love people not knowing Lil Nas X's name and just saying Elton John doing commercials with the Old Town Road Kid. You don't look broke. <laughs> All right, six fifty four. <laughs> spare pound. <laughs> no, I don't need a spare pound. It's on your phone. You have Apple Pay. Do you have? Do you have a credit card on your phone? <laughs> you don't pay cash with that. That why does that not that should become the prevailing theme of that commercial? Can we just go tear apart like the inconsistencies between the universes? That's fine. <laughs> but Dave says you boys sound like you're setting up a bi week request line Friday. Stop <laughs> it. Don't tempt me. December. We got a month to go, Dave. Got Bear a month with to us. go. But those Christmas week ones are going to be interesting. We don't request line Friday before Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> Let's take a break. 655 on KLIN. All right. 711 LNK today with Jack and friends. All right. Rick Stein recognition hotline text line are open for you. 402-479-1400. Did Trev make the right decision yesterday about Scott Frost? This is also our poll of the week. That's right. We're going to do a poll of the week's. At KLIN.com. And uh, we asked a question just simply, and this was written before the move yesterday, but it still applies. Yeah, yeah, Uh, it still works for the whole week. Do you want Scott Frost to return as Nebraska's head football coach in 2022? So far, 89% of you say yes. And that is tracked generally, even, you know, a non-scientific poll here, but that's tracked generally. Maybe that's a little on the high end. But it's been somewhere around two thirds to three quarters. I've I've noticed in talking to fans and what they want that this is what they wanted, and it's interesting to wonder how much that played into the decision that was made. Now I came on yesterday, and I said that I was in the boat that I thought I I wanted to 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 bring him back, and. I'm still of the belief that there aren't when you when you have a coach 
that is in uh, fourth year and was that so many people thought was going to get this thing going and didn't. I don't think there are any great options right now, to be honest. I think you're just trying to find right now the most likely path to turning things around. Okay, and and my position is based on a couple of things. And I don't know if this matches up with why Trev did it. Mine isn't necessarily built. A lot of people who talk about um, the, the, that, you know, that 89% number, they make an assumption that it's all of these traditionalists, right? All of these people mm-hmm. who love the former player, who love, you know, uh, who, who want him because it's Scott Frost to be the guy, because he's from Nebraska, because he's from those places. I wouldn't say that influences my position, all that much. And so sometimes I get a little frustrated when that position is sort of stereotyped in that way. I am of the position or I'm of the belief that given what I saw this year, that next year you've got a better chance of success with Scott Frost building on that with some changes. Okay. I think part of the reason you started to see some success this year was because not necessarily a personnel coaching changes, but some other philosophical changes and some other changes in attitude and those sorts of things. A little bit more buy-in. A little bit more buy-in. He seemed happier to be the coach of Nebraska than he had in previous years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that presents you. This is just my... It, it, I could be wrong, but I think that gets you a better chance at winning next year and then going forward than starting over yet again with this program. I could be wrong. The sample, maybe, because there are people who will say to me then, Jack, what what gives you reason to believe that? And my answer to that is the improvement that I saw this year, where it's not there in the win-loss column. But it's ridiculous to take a look at a football season and not look at something deeper than the win-loss column. Okay? Yeah, I get it. There's no moral victories, all of those things. But when you're truly doing an evaluation, it's it's ridiculously overly simple to just simply look at the record dumper and say, well, that defines the season. Right. right. I, mean, I remember when Mike Riley almost had Nebraska in the top 10 because they were unbeaten, and everybody said, I don't really think we deserve the top 10 ranking. That's why, because nobody <laughs> looked at the – you don't just look at the record. You look at all of those things. And absolutely not – it wasn't perfect. There were problems. I still can't explain Minnesota and Purdue. Those should have been wins. I still can't believe they didn't. They kicked the field goal on Saturday instead of going for it. I'm not saying there's perfection, but when I'm picking between, frankly, two choices that I don't really want to be picking between mm-hmm. at this point, that's why I'm picking the one that I am. And more specifically, people will say, Jack, the only thing that you can, you can really say is trending in the right direction is the defense, and that's got nothing to do with Scott Frost. Well, n- number one, yeah, okay. Well, regardless, you're you're losing what you have for the defense if the head man leaves. Okay? You're you're losing your defense <laughs> yeah. coordinator, you're losing you, whatever. So, regardless whether it's him or whether it's Chenander or whether whether it's the assistant coaches there, you're losing that if you move on. And to me, that's been the most difficult thing to build in this program for the last 20 years is a solid defense. Mm-hmm. And that's happened. And you know, I I think I find some interest outside of like 2009, 2010. Yeah, like, like you, you those had, early years of Bo. Yeah, the early well, most of Bo's career, but especially mm-hmm. the early years of Bo's in, of, mm-hmm. in particular. Uh, and then the other thing is, I do think there is some intrinsic value in stability. 
in instability at the top. And there's a part of me, frankly, that, uh, you know, there's some people who say, well, well, Jack, why do you keep beating your head against the wall doing the same thing over and over again? That's the definition of insanity. Well, in, to some way, in some ways, I can turn that around and say, yeah, we keep, we keep giving somebody three years and pulling the plug and starting over again, giving someone three, four years, pulling the plug, starting over again. That's the same doing the same thing and over, over and over again. I think there could be some intrinsic value for this program right now for stability. Okay? And I know how many people are rolling their eyes about what they're saying right now. But don't act like hiring a surefire success is some sort of a guarantee if you move on a different direction. You you may you may poke fun at me and say, well, Jack, oh, great. They played close against Oklahoma and Ohio State. That's what you're basing this on? Well, it's it's no different than you pointing out that, yeah, occasionally there are coaches that are hired that are quick successes out of school, but it usually doesn't happen. So either way, we're taking a gamble. Either way, we are taking a gamble, and this is the gamble that I feel like has a more like you give me the choice, you get gun to my head and say who has a better chance of going of getting, I don't know, pick a number, seven wins, eight wins next year, Frost and, and whatever staff he has next year, or a brand new person that comes in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I would I would absolutely say Frost. People would disagree with me, but it isn't a real hard question for me. So that's my feeling behind this whole thing, and I know the decision was made in part because of who he is and the the background and all of those things and because of how fans feel about it that's not where i'm at necessarily it's not a sentimental thing for me personality it's kind of a cold hard which is the better outcome now the only thing the only thing that not the only thing but one of the things that i hesitate a little bit and i do think it's a close call by the way I do think it is a really close call on this whole thing. But and Dirk has a column about this. Bishop talked about this on our show last week. It is incredibly rare to find someone who started like Frost did without success in those first four years who have turned it around at a Power 5 program and especially one that has a history of being solid. So, I mean, you would be doing something that really hasn't been done. So that that gives me some pause as well. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Brickstein Recognition Hotline. We got some text coming in as well. Mike, good morning. What do you think? Well, guys, I just got a question. Um, do you think Trev gave him more than one year to get this turned around in final? I'm not sure. Who's going to come as a offensive line coach knowing he only has one year to get his job done? That's a fair question. No, number one, I don't, to answer your first question, I'm not sure. There may be a longer leash here than people assume, I think, after next year because of what you said, Mike. Um, yeah. Because I think I, I, I do ask that question about hiring assistants because you come into this as a potential offensive line coach, as a potential offensive coordinator, as a potential wide receivers coach. You know the situation. The national perception is, okay, he's got one more shot, do or die, which right. would give you pause about taking a job like this, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's very quick. I think it's uh, something Trev should be asked. Yeah. No, that's a good question. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank right. you for calling. You bet. Yep. Yeah. That's a. I mean, that's. I wouldn't be shocked if people. If, I think Trev wants to try. I mean, I think 
Trev wants to try something sort of innovative and, and different here and, and not necessarily do what people are expecting. So there's a part of me that wouldn't be shocked if there's even a longer leash here than expected because he simply wants to work through this with, with Frost. Show progress. Yeah. They're not saying win the, win the division. Yeah, I don't know year. what that is. At some point, I will say this. At some point, there's gonna be you're going to have a PR and booster problem. Well, yeah. You're going to have a, a fit. another, I mean, you can't, I'll say this. There's, I can't imagine you could go through a win total that's three wins next year. <laughs> but who knows? Steven, Steven says schedule is more attainable next year. Yeah, well, it still includes Iowa and Wisconsin and Minnesota and Purdue and right. Illinois. But it is it is a little less rigorous, oh. I would say, than than this this last year. I, I, I refuse to look at a schedule as more or less rigorous if you're not beating the teams that you're supposed to beat. Okay, fair enough. I would just say if I had to pick one schedule, I would pick 2023 over 2022, <laughs> I guess. To, by the way, that schedule, uh, 2020, uh, the 2022 schedule is Northwestern in Dublin. I, a lock of the Irish, will be going down to take on Northwestern and score first will be there. And then, uh, lucky charms. then North Dakota, then Georgia Southern, then Oklahoma and Lincoln, Rutgers, Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, if you are wondering what that schedule is. All right, uh, Coach John joins us right now. Hey, John, what do you think? Hey, I, first of all, I think I, you are right on the money. I feel exactly the same way you do, and I think you uh, the way you articulate it is, is really good. And I, I just have a hard time believing why um, that would be <clears throat> so disagreeable. The second point I want to make is, I don't know. I know Coach Frost has had four years now, but man, are we really going to count COVID in the in the everything that that put on this program and any every program across the country? Like they couldn't even be around each other for a, a good portion that's of true. the time. Yeah, so that's true. It's that not. It's not a typical count. four years. I, I think you get. We could all agree to that. It's not a typical four yeah. years. So, and the last point I want to make is as being an old coach. When you when you get on a new staff or you have some new people in your staff, it it can be hard a little bit. But so my point is, I think he's got to be really careful as to who he brings here, and and uh, like they might be, they might have credentials, great credentials, all five. But if they're all coming from or four, and they're all coming from four different places, boy, that's a tough thing to do in one year. Yeah is to meld all that together. So I'd kind of like to see him pick out a, a, an offense that he is totally in line with and try to bring a group of people that are, have already worked together a little bit. And I know he did that with the last group. Yeah. It just it goes to what our last timeline. Yeah, it goes to what the last caller said. Same exact thing. I, I mean, you got to mesh. You got to mesh quickly. Sorry, we had to let we had to move on. I want to get to Ted here real quickly. Thank you for the call, John. Hey, uh, Ted, your thoughts. You know, I'm I'm pretty a fan of Scott Frost. I'll just say that ahead of time. But I took a I took a night job the other while back at the Lincoln Airport, and I could have swore on Sunday I saw Honey Gruden. <laughs> and I don't know, but maybe Scott's got something big up his sleeve here. He's going to see a big old splash hire. What do you think about that? O line coach, you think maybe? I I think Barney Cotton. Barney Cotton. <laughs> I got, he had it. Ted, I got a better one for you. The best offensive line coach of the NFL is Bill Callahan. Sign him! <laughs> Seven twenty. It's true. That would be something. That would be something. All right, 724.
We'll take a break. Here's Lincoln's News and Talk, 1499 KLIN. <gasps> Wake up for a story on Storytime with Stye. Present the five things you'll be talking about today. This is the Morning Drive on 1499.3 KLIN. Hold on. Because, and we're going to get into the frosting here again in the Morning Drive, but because it is Nebraska basketball opening day, can you turn me up here? Um, I yeah, got. I, got I, I've got. To, I just got to do this a couple of times. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. It's a three. Got it. Holy cow. Got it. Sorry, I just. I'm excited. I'm excited. Game night for Nebraska basketball. All right, now we can get going. Let's count it down, starting with number five. Put the rumors to rest yesterday. Trev Alberts came out with a statement and a vote of confidence for Scott Frost. He'll return as the head coach for at least another season. Uh, Albert says he's seen progress and that they have restructured his contract. Frost uh, had a statement also with those with that communication. He's uh, 15 and 27 so far. His record in Lincoln, uh, including 10 and 23 against Big Ten opponents. The uh, 2021 version, currently 3-7, and seven, and will miss the uh, postseason for the fourth time. Um, however, four coaches, assistant coaches, gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are um, offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach Matt Lubick, offensive line coach, run game coordinator Greg Austin, running backs coach Ryan Held, and quarterbacks coach Mario Verdusco. Gone. Yeah. All Immediately. E- immediately. And... You're going to have to see people like Ron Brown get back in the coaching game for the rest of the year. And so you've got mm-hmm. short-term questions and you've got long-term questions. And we'll, we'll discuss this more. But I think, Caleb, the things to point out here is the restructuring of the contract is significant in this whole thing. Right. Okay? Not only do you cut a million bucks off the salary, the buyout's cut in half. Okay? From $15 million to $7.5 million. So that means Scott Frost, essentially, because Frost could have said, you know what? I'm not going to renegotiate this thing, and maybe that's the end of it. He could get the $15 million buyout at that point. Doesn't, of course, get the salary after that, but he gets the buyout, kind of the liquidated buyout that's in the contract, and you're looking pretty good with that. By coaching next year, if he coaches next year and gets his salary plus the buyout, it's still less than he would have gotten had he taken the buyout this year, mm-hmm. just from the, the number side of it. So that's, that's interesting. But it, it, in the long term... Frost is betting on himself. Yeah, that, he's that get- he can get it turned around, get a longer deal, continue to get the extensions, make more money over time than had he just taken the buyout. So on, on the on the one hand, could have just taken the money, been pretty well set, coach somewhere if he wants, otherwise mm-hmm. just hang out because you've got all the money in the world that that you're realistically going to need. But he wants to coach football. Yeah. And he wants to coach football in Lincoln. So yes. he's, he found a way to make that happen. Is this his, is he, what he's really saying then, what I'm getting from you guys is, is not about the money. It's about the job, getting the job done. We've got a it's, new football uh, sports complex being built. We've got, uh, you know, a strong fundamental team that's not if executed it, this year, but it's not about the money as far as Scott Frost is concerned. If it is about the money, he's very sure that this thing is going to turn around. Because if it doesn't, he's... He's out not only the job, but he's going to make less than he would have this year, being fired this year. I guess right. that's so that's, that's the my... answer to your question. Now, if he if he turns everything around, you, you could say, well, you could you could get fired, or you could coach for another ten years and keep getting a salary here. Um, and so it, it just depends on how long term that 
you think he's thinking. But yeah, I think you're you're probably right about this. He very much wants to stay here. And I think that's that's interesting, guys, because, Caleb, I think I said to you this to you off the air lots of times over the last few years, but there are times just kind of observing the 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 things he said, the the, the other things, it felt like he wasn't happy here. Yeah. It, it I mean it just did. No, there, it felt there. like the job was getting the best of him and he it was kind of like I always wondered if he felt like he made a terrible mistake leaving Central Florida. Right. There there were a lot of times, especially just answering questions, you could tell he didn't really want to be there. Right. He he, did, he didn't want to be answering the questions on why things didn't go right. But I don't feel right. that way anymore. I felt like that something changed this year and I don't know what it was. I mean, just go back to this last Saturday. Things clearly again did not go right to come out with a victory. And there were plenty of opportunities. There was a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter that they decided to roll out the, the kicker. That did, it didn't work out. But Frost, after the game, all he wanted to talk about was how much he loves coaching here yeah. and how much it's going to pop and, and how much he wants to be here and wants to see success. Yeah, that, that sounded different. That's not what he did a year ago. And that's not what he did. Yeah, year one and year two. Uh, honestly, uh, I mean, I'll be dead on it. There were a lot of pointing fingers at other people the first couple of years about mistakes. The previous regime, right? The, uh, the That whole thing, the Big Ten. I mean, it was it was everything it felt like. I felt like there was a... I don't know. And it, that's part of why I am where I am right now and thinking there's a better chance that this program with some stability under him has for success in the short-term future at least than making a change. That That's part of the reason why I am. I... I guess I give some kind of a credit for what I saw as a change. We'll see if that actually comes is, to fruition. Is the the statement I believe it was made, and I I can't quote it directly, but uh, part of his vision going forward to be more of a CEO. Yeah, Trev and, said that to some of the the, the media the that he star, talked to. And, yeah, and and that I mean I always wondered why he was calling all the plays. Yeah, that's one thing they're going to try and. And get him out of that, Caleb, which will be interesting. That'll be a change of pace. I, the yeah. offensive coordinator, that offensive coordinator, is going to be a big. Um, that's going to be a, a. It's going to be a big job. What does the offense look like next year? That's the thing. You're putting up a lot of yards, not a lot of points. Does the offense see an identity change? Because you didn't really have an identity this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> All right. What else do we have going on? <laughs> Number four. Bailey Boswell, uh, life in prison for her role in the 2017 murder of Lincoln resident Sidney Luth. Three-judge panel handed down the sentence. It was a split decision. It had to be unanimous in order to um, impose the death penalty. Uh, she avoided being the first woman in state history to be sentenced to death. She's 27 years old, convicted for the uh, murder and dismemberment of Sidney Luth, who worked at uh, Menards in North Lincoln. Uh, Boswell and her boyfriend, Aubrey Trail, planned the killing, according to prosecutors, and lured Loof on the dating app Tinder. Loof was strangled, her body dismembered, and spread across Clay County in plastic bags. Trail did receive the death penalty um, sentence earlier this year. It's unknown if that will ever be uh, carried out. It, You know, it's interesting because it, this was about whether or not the legal question here is whether or not it showed exceptional depravity. And as you mentioned, the three-judge panel was split on this. And it's got to be unanimous. Judge Battalion dissented. And so it was not unanimous three to zero at this point. 
He said uh, in this, I could not find beyond a reasonable doubt that the state of Nebraska met its burden to proof, burden of proof to this aggravating circumstance. Nothing in this dissent should be understood to diminish the sentences of the murder of Sidney Loof and the great pain this has caused her family and friend. However, because I could not find the state had met its burden of proof as the aggravating circumstances, I hereby dissent from the other two judges on this panel. This evidentiary, the, the whole process here, the hearing, the decision on this, was solely about whether or not the aggravating circumstance, exceptional depravity, that's listed in the statute was met. Okay? Or if it was overridden by mitigating factors. Given, Mark, given the just, frankly, clear depravity of the whole thing, was was part of the reason that I had no doubt that the judges would not rule in Aubrey Trail's favor. It was a little bit more complicated with Sidney Loof. What was her role exactly? What was her role in the particularly depraved parts of this whole thing? And how did mitigating factors um, go into this whole thing? And because one judge did say, I don't think it met the standard, she is going to have her life spared yes. for this whole thing. She uh, will be incarcerated in York at the uh, women's prison there. Mm-hmm. For life. And unlike Aubrey Trail, she desperately wanted to avoid the death penalty. Yes. Um, Trail, I think. She has a daughter, I yep. believe. Yep. Just all together, hopefully, 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 bottom line on this thing, I said this yesterday, hopefully some level of closure to a, just a horrendous number of years um, for Sidney Luke's family having gone through this. I, I remember when this happened and then Police Chief Jeff Blymeister uh, was a guest of yours. Yeah. And they weren't talking about it but uh, after he was finished with his segment, he I basically told us that he had gut feel that this was going to be a really, yeah, really remember that. nasty uh, situation. And it was. It's still shocking. Number three. Governor Pete Ricketts and the Department of Health and Human Services announced the coronavirus hospitalizations have risen above 10% of statewide hospital bed capacity. That's a seven-day rolling average, by the way. And keeping with their previously announced policy, uh, updates to the Nebraska Hospital Capacity and Respiratory Illness Dashboard returned as of yesterday. They're also adding flu and RSV data, uh, RSV data uh, as we go into that particular season. But a lot of information now updated daily yeah. on the COVID-19 dashboard. It looks like it's, dashboard. there's a lot more than there used to be, actually, Yes, on this whole thing. To me, the interesting one always to look at is the is the case rates um, by county, and the, there's a map, kind of a heat map, on there to see where Lancaster County is compared to everywhere else. Um, per 100,000, Lancaster County is at 428 for the last two weeks rolling average. Uh, so 428, Douglas 340, Sarpy 437, um, Cass uh, is at 436. It's just interesting to to see the different numbers that are right around here and i know that factors into the mask mandate discussion that's going on yes, and, right and, now as well and uh, po- uh, the the daily case numbers are up here in uh lincoln lancaster county there are 188 cases confirmed yesterday man they've been high lately again yeah they have now well, they, they click the wrist dial up again too the, now the one one question did come about on the if elective cert with hospitalizations with hospital capacity of covid now above 10 percent it was uh, a question about whether uh, the state would start uh, restricting elective surgeries again and that is not going to happen the governor said he would not impose a new hmm. dhm at least for the time being all right 
Well, we'll we'll see if that changes. Man, this is what we were talking about. Did you remember last year at this time? I remember because we were doing the Salvation Turkey Drive at High V, uh, and the governor talked about that hospital capacity number, and he announced what would happen if it gotten up if it would get up to the red, and that was some serious from the state level. Some of the most serious restrictions that we had ever been talking about from yep. the state level we're on good. that thing, which it began going down shortly after that. But this is right when it was peaking yep. a year ago. I, I think we were what, about 1,400 uh, at one point. I can't. I, I don't remember. I just remember he came out and said, here's what it's going to look like if we get over this number. And it, 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 from the state, from Ricketts, that was as, as that was as stringent as we've seen yep. uh, with, with some of those DHMs. All right, moving on. Number two. High demand for food takeout and snarls in the global supply chain causing shortages in the restaurant industry. Items like... Plastic straws, coffee cups, to-go containers running low. Experts say packaging companies that manufacture takeout containers have had to deal with soaring costs for shipping containers, a nationwide labor crunch, and a higher cost for key materials. Okay, do I get a discount if I order takeout and bring my own plate? I'm not sure that is allowed. (laughs) What? Loosen up the health standards like we did for takeout drinks for bring your own plate to the... I mean, to the pizza place or whatever. Get get some fine dining, and they say, hey, brought my plate. Just pile it up. Pile it up a little bit more. All right, thanks. Hey, it's cheaper get if, some I take my own, if I take my own mug to get coffee. Exactly. We do People do that all the time at coffee places now that you can do that again or your own cup to, to get pop. I got some big plates, too. Bring some saran wrap just take in a, case. R- a, wrap it up for the way home. Take a cake pan for the family. Get one of those huge popcorn bowls. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the, yeah but the, the, no, that that doesn't work, Jack, because you don't like your different foods yeah, even true. touching each other. That's true. You I'm put, just you put everything in. And we're, we're, we're I'm trying just for mashed I'm, potatoes and gravy. I'm just going to go to Culver's or something with a big popcorn bowl and be like, "All right, cheese curds, fill them up. You don't have to. You don't have to use your own packaging. So I think you don't have to be very stingy on the curds, right? Yeah, you're going to have to make a, a second stop though. You got to stop at Amigos for some ranch. That's true. I'm bringing <laughs> a five gallon. That's exactly bail. right. I'm bringing like my Yeti, my 64 ounce Yeti. No, bring a five-gallon pail. I mean, the way you guys go through it. One of those orange, one of those orange pails that you keep in the garage. Yeah. That's a good idea. That's a really good idea. You know that saving. The, all I want to do is save money for the restaurants with their packaging. That's. All. I'm just trying to be good. By the way, those five-gallon pails. Whoever designed those had to be trying to make them absolutely impossible to separate when you put one inside. <laughs> that the other. and plastic garbage cans. Yes. My neighbors have watched me do a comedic dance trying to get two plastic garbage cans separated. All right. Last but not least. Number one. Some people do believe there's a war on Christmas, and it may or may not be true. We got a judicial ruling out of Cobb County, Georgia yesterday, banning Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> Thank you. Too it, late for me, though. But it's really a joke. <laughs> Court Chief Judge Robert Leonard posted a mock order banishing the make-believe Christmas helpers. Judge said his order frees parents and kids from the tyranny of having an elf on the shelf, calling his ruling his gift to tired parents. <laughs> you're, you're a few years too late, Judge. All right? Ruling is non-binding, teller, telling parents if you love your elf, you can keep your elf. I did not. I, I don't. It's so weird. We did not do Elf on the Shelf with my son. I had never heard of it. And then one year, 
it was like everyone was doing it. And everyone in my daughter's preschool and elementary school, everybody was doing it. And so you got to do it. But I had, we had no idea. Like, when did that thing, it started out of nowhere and got, I think it really gained momentum like eight years ago. But before that, that was, it wasn't even a thing. Where if did that be, come from? If being against Elf on the Shelf is a war on Christmas, I will lead the charge. <laughs> oh, yeah, wait, wait, wait. We are, we are do- oh, you say that now. You say that now. I'll, t- I'll talk to you in three years, Caleb. <laughs> I will talk to you in three years when everyone at school or everyone at, at preschool nope. is talking about it. To your daughters, why don't we have one at our house? Because we're not idiots, Millie. <laughs> <laughs> have some standards. I, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Set a reminder for December 5th, 2024. Ask Caleb about Elf on the Shelf. I love doing this. I have so many reminders for like eight years down the road. But we're also finding out that they're not all uh, alarming you. That's, as we found out last that's week. True, that's true. That's <laughs> true. All right, we'll take a break. And that is alarming. That is it for the morning drive. It's 7.55 on KLIN. When you're thinking Huskers, kaboom! That's point big red. Think 1499.3 KLIN. Apparently we're doing it without music right now. Welcome in to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. 41 degrees in the capital city. Welcome back. And, uh, well, it is, uh, it's that time of the month again. The beginning of what looks like a change in our weather. And when we do that, we always like to bring in our weather and climate guru, Dr. Ken Dewey, long time guest of the show to tell us about what's coming up next with this whole thing. Dr. Dewey, good morning. How are you doing today? I am doing fine living the good life, recognizing that there are two important things in Nebraska, football and weather. And we talked last week about maybe we should go on the air last week. I said, no, it's pretty boring. <laughs> um, finally, something is changing, and you've got me on. Did you get outside over uh, last weekend, Jack? Uh, I spent as much of it as I could. I was at the I was at the Husker football game. I sat on the deck two of the nights. Had friends over. It was great. I was outside as much as I could have been. Well, you're not going to get to do that again for quite a while. <laughs> Great, 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 Doctor Dewey. I appreciate you setting me up for that kind of disappointment. I know. Well, you know, it probably isn't going to be till February or March that we have a warm weekend like that again with the temperature in the seventies. But it's okay. Look at where we are. We're moving in towards the middle of November, and I will start answering your questions that you might have yeah. about this change that's taking place and looking forward. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I guess one of the first things I want to ask you about before we go too far into the future is. I keep noticing, even even still today as I drive through my neighborhood, um, that it feels like there are parts of Lincoln where they're at their peak of fall colors right now, um, or at least were just recently mm-hmm. at their peak of fall colors. I still have two trees with, I don't know, probably 80% of the leaves that are on them right now. I normally remember in most years by that first week after Halloween, I, I'm completely leafless on, on all of my trees here. How, has that been a, is that been because of what the weather has been like during this fall or is it something else? No, that's what it is, Jack. And in fact, it's not only here, but uh, I came back from a trip from Chicago earlier in October um, to go visit friends and relatives and to see the fall colors and everything was green. Um, and I just had some photos sent to me yesterday by a friend. Chicago is now peaking in its color. I'm looking out the back window of my house across the balcony, 
and the trees are all green. There's some yellow. There's one tree that did get with the program and lost all of its leaves. But it is unusual, and driving around yesterday, I'm going, it looks more like the middle of October than heading into the middle of November. Yeah, it it definitely does. Um, just taking a look back here at at October, um, it, 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 you know that's a month we've talked about. You can have snow. You can really have some some real cold. We lucked out with with regard to both of those. Even though it didn't ever feel like we got traditional October weather the entire time for some reason. October was very pleasant. It was dry, and I know that the friends that I have that work on, in agriculture said it was an ideal harvesting time. Mm. You know, we had a couple bursts of rain, and that's been so typical of our, our weather pattern last spring through summer and fall that it stays dry, and then all of a sudden you get a burst with a lot of water coming out of the sky, and then it goes back to dry again. So it's been a perfect harvesting season. Um, we finally went below freezing, and my garden said, okay, I'm done for the year and died. But it's it's been a delay of going into any sign of winter weather. You know, our earliest snowfall is all the way back in September, back in the 1980s. Um, September 29 is the earliest snowfall that we've had in our climate. And then the latest snowfall is December 31. So we've gone all the way to New Year's Eve. I don't think that's what's going to happen this fall. We'll get to that in a little bit. But it has been an ideal warm and dry fall for people to do yard work, get outside, wear those cargo shorts, right, Jack? <laughs> I had them on. I had them on at the game on Saturday. But it looks like looking forward, maybe after today or tomorrow, uh, it'll be time to put them away. The, the nice weather's kind of stretched out for a while. It looked like Sunday might, Saturday might be the end of it. Then it looked like Sunday might be the end of it. Today, still not too bad. Sunny and 60s. When exactly does the change come, and how big of a change is it going to be? The change is coming in steps. You know, we were in the 70-degree range over the weekend. And then yesterday, I don't have the number right in front of me. I know it was just barely into the 60s. Let me pull that up. And yesterday we hit 64 degrees. So that's a beginning of our slide down. Now remember the normal high right now is 5'5", 55 degrees. Mm -hmm. So it's still warmer than normal. Today we're going to be near normal. And then Wednesday comes our first precipitation event um, that I've been monitoring leading all the way up to Thanksgiving. And the temperature tomorrow will be kind of cold because it will be raw and rainy. Um, And then after that rain event, the air starts coming down from Canada with the first real blast of, oh, it feels like November outside this Friday, when the high is only in the upper 30s, low 40s, which is going to be significantly below normal. But the good news is, if you're not a fan of snow, uh, the nearest snow as that storm develops this Friday is going to be up at the Canadian border with the potential, not shovel, you know, not snow that we're going to plow, not snow we're going to shovel. The National Weather Service says, hey, we could have some flurries in the area Friday, but not a snowfall that's going to cover the ground and say, okay, we're ready, here comes winter. That's going to be a little bit later on. So the big switch is already taking place in slow steps And by Friday, everyone will feel it. We've been spoiled when you have 70-degree temperatures and they're going to be replaced with temperatures in the upper 30s and low 40s for highs. It's going to feel cold. Yeah. There's always that one day in November. It always hits at some point, Dr. Dewey, where the reality that winter is coming sets in. You step outside and the north wind hits you and you're like, okay, I haven't felt this for a long time. It looks like that's definitely going to be Friday. Uh, it is, it is, it. Jack. And, you know, like for today, the record high is 74. 
So that's how unusual it is to get 70-degree weather wow. this late in the season. Wow. And, of course, the record low today is 11. The record low for tomorrow, 4. The record low for Thursday, minus 1. So we certainly can and have gone into deep winter cold this early in November, but not this year. Now, it looks like, and you touched on this just a little bit, you kind of bottom out there on Friday, and then it looks like a couple of day return to normalcy for the most part, temperature-wise, not much precipitation. So the week this isn't necessarily like a long-term plunge below normal, correct? No, but it is trending to colder than normal. Okay. So that as I look at the weekend, 46 for a high Saturday is cold. 53 for Sunday is near normal. And then next week, 61 on Tuesday, that's pretty pleasant. Wednesday, a week from tomorrow, 59. But then the highs all the way leading into Thanksgiving are in the low to mid-40s. So we're even going to say goodbye to the 60s, apparently. 70s are long gone. And the 60s, they'll probably, we might flirt with that next week, the middle of next week, and then another surge of cold air comes. Okay. Each of these cold air surges are potential for our first snowfall. Okay. So, but uh, not, but right now, not in the immediate future, but that could, and it sounds like, uh, Dr. Dewey, with the timeline that you're talking about, that could start to happen again. Maybe it's a little early for this, but right around that Thanksgiving time. Well, if we look at the statistics, and I want to point out to everybody that when we're done talking today, I'll post a lot of stuff um, at Dewey Weather on Facebook and KDewey1 on Twitter. But the middle date of when we get our first snowfall, when we look back over 100 years of data, is November 17. So that's pretty much normal if we start talking about snow by Thanksgiving. I also have a graph that I'll post showing that the probability in the climate of snowfall increases drastically the week of Thanksgiving. And in the years I've lived in Lincoln, I remember so many Thanksgivings that that was our first regular snowfall, freezing rain, snow, plowable snow, and all that. So that would be the normal. And, of course, it's ranged from September to the December 31, New Year's Eve. But it seems like that would be pretty normal, Jack, if, in fact, we get our first snow. And in a moment, we can take a look at each of the potential snowfalls for Lincoln all the way up from uh, now through Thanksgiving. Okay. Uh, well, well, let's uh, let's let's do that then. Right now is we're we're kind of looking at that time period over the course of the next three weeks. All right. What I'm going to do now is go through what it looks like. And Friday would be our first chance for snow flurries, especially in northeastern Nebraska, as a storm winds itself up over the Great Lakes. But we will have rain Wednesday, and I don't think we're going to have a snowfall that's going to accumulate. Okay. Then we spin forward, and we come up to Sunday. And it's interesting, on Sunday, by Sunday afternoon, the entire state of Iowa, well, mainly middle of Iowa, um, east is going to be in snow. So that's the next snowfall, but it's missing us, just missing us. And it goes down into Chicago and Illinois. And we continue on. We warm up a little bit next week. And then we go to the end of next week. So, so far we're doing fine that these mm-hmm. cold air surges are coming down dry. And then we go all the way through into the weekend before Thanksgiving. Temperatures are pretty well near normal. And then the computer models for the last week have consistently said, hey, it's Thanksgiving week. That's what we're going to be thankful for is the start of winter. And I go, well, I might not necessarily be (laughs) thankful because a lot of people are going to be traveling. And if this does happen, you probably want to get a hold of me Thanksgiving week to have an update on it. But as I look at Monday morning, um, November 22, 
so a week from this coming Monday, that is the first potential major snowfall across our area. The type of snowfall that would impede travel, the type of snowfall that you're going to have to shovel and get mm. rid of off your driveway and off the streets and stuff. But, um, and it shows snow all the way from Winnipeg down to central Kansas with the heaviest snow in Nebraska. You know and I know this is a long way out right. to say exactly when's the snow going to start, how much snow we're going to get. But it's interesting that all of the forecast models have found this about a week ago, and they're still insistent and that we are going to get snow Thanksgiving week just before Thanksgiving. So people will want to stay up to date with my up, uh, you know, my, my updates on uh, K Dewey One on Twitter and then Dewey Weather on Facebook. But it looks like we're going to not have measurable snow all the way until about Thanksgiving week, which would be just a little bit later than normal. You know what's weird, Jack, is I was looking at the numbers, and I look back at last winter, and I go, wow, must have been a record-breaking snowfall winter. No, it wasn't. Hmm. And, in fact, it's only ranked sixth for the amount of snowfall in terms of, you know, sixth most ever. It stopped snowing in February. It's just that all our snow came concentrated um, at the end of January into the early part of February. If we'd spread that out over three months, it would have been more manageable. Another interesting number is we average 18 days every snow season with measurable snow. Hmm. And that seems like a lot, but, you know, it doesn't say how much snow, but we average about 18 days. We only had 20 days last winter. So it was not an exceptionally snowy winter from number of days of snow. It was all concentrated in February. And the computer models, again, are insisting that we're going to have a slow progression into winter and with the potential, again, of another February to stay inside. <laughs> okay, so I, I consider that good news and bad news. You, you know, if you have a slow progression, it chops weeks off the front end of, you know, of the terrible weather portion. But then February, you know, a bad February is the worst. It's just it's the worst. Well, at least it's a shorter month, right? Right, exactly, so, and 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 it's the end of it, hopefully, but or close to the end of it. But, so, Jeff, uh, this is the big switch that we talk about all the time, and it was very timely for me to be on the air with you, looking at we are now sinking into and away from cargo shorts weather, yeah. and we're going to get progressively colder. Uh, first big blast on Friday, and then when the temperatures are only in the forties daytime, we'll know that it feels more like November, and all the way out to Thanksgiving, we look rainy this coming Wednesday, and then our first potential snowfall Thanksgiving week. But stay tuned. This can all change. A week from today, we might not be talking about it anymore as forecasters. Well, we'll make tentative plans, especially if it looks like um, if it looks like that snow, the beginning of the week Thanksgiving, which would hit right during peak travel time to maybe uh, get together again here that week and give people some advice on how to travel most safely as that could be in play. Dr. Dewey, I always appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate you laying that out for us, how it's going to look the next couple of weeks. And we are ready for the change. I am putting away the cargo shorts tonight per your directions. <laughs> you're, you're welcome, Jack. It's always great to visit with you and, and your listeners. And just, you know, we're going to sink into winter. We've never gone a winter without snow. So, you know, we're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. It's just a matter of when is it going to come and how much are we going to get. And will February be a repeat of last February? Let's hope not. And we can start counting down the days till spring and cargo short alerts. Exactly. Cargo shorts, not shirts. Yes. Well, that might be a new thing, too. But either either one. Either one. Hey, Dr. Dewey, thank you. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again here soon, all right? You're welcome. Take care, Jack. And the listeners, have a great day. There you go. Dr. Ken Dewey, our weather and climate guru. Always love talking to 
can do it even if it's getting colder. It's 823. We'll take a break. Sports is next on KLIN. To be aware of what's going on, period. I mean, we need to keep keep informed. Get today's top news and sports directly to your inbox. Sign up for the daily at KLIN.com. You're listening to LNK Today with Jack and Friends on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, welcome back. LNK Today with Jack and Friends on KLIN. At 836, 42 degrees in the capital city. Well, we've had a lot of reaction to the Scott Frost news. He will be retained, making changes on the staff, restructuring his contract. Caleb, I did a lot of the uh, the talking in the last segment, and then we started getting phone calls in. People can still call in if they want to. Rick Stein Recognition Absolutely. Hotline uh, or text in. Do you like the move? We are trending at, I'll get an update on the poll question, but we are trending right now on whether or not people, this was written before the decision was made. Do you want Scott Frost to return? 89% of you, before it was official, 89% of you said yes. Most of the polls I've been looking at have been at two-thirds, three-quarters. Right. Yes. So this is, I mean, I don't think there's anybody who would argue if you're just taking a majority view. This is a popular decision on behalf of the Nebraska fans. Right. In and, a way, we're, and we're not just asking, did Trev make the right decision? We're asking, do you do want, you want right. Scott Frost to come back? But I would I would venture to say whether you want to take whether you want to take um Mike Riley for certain, probably Bo almost for, certainly Bo Pelini, um Bill Callahan, absolutely sir. And maybe even Solich. Maybe even Solich after two thousand three. I don't think Caleb, you would have had fan support in those, it, let's say it's two thirds to three quarters. That's a rough estimate. I don't know that you even would have had that with Solich in in right. 2002, two thousand two, after two thousand three. I should say, yeah, you, you might have been close, but with none of the other coaches, you would have. So it's a it's a different situation. Um, but anyway, let's let's go to the phones, Caleb. I want to give you a chance to have, to um, to give some of your thoughts because I know I did a lot of talk in the last segment. Uh, but Ben's on the Rickstein recognition hotline. Good morning, Ben. Uh, what do you think? Hey, uh, you know, I I think I uh, support the decision. I I'm at a point where I think Trez is the, the right man in that position to make those decisions. But I got to wonder, going back to 2018, it's almost uh... – now, Scott certainly bears some of the responsibility and the problems, but how much did Bill Moose just kind of leave him out to flounder? I mean, I get it. He's a hot-shot young coach getting $5 million a year. But just kind of reading between the lines on some of the things that Trev said when he first came in, it kind of sounded like, uh, you know, the athletic department was kind of a circus and Bill Moose was nowhere to be found to provide the day-to-day administration, administrative uh, support. So right. I think in that regard, it makes it pretty hard to not retain Frost if you show that he was kind of set up for failure yeah. as far as the uh, um, day-to-day operations go. Also, uh, fire Matt Davison from everything. That's all I got. <laughs> Genesis James texts in, do a fantasy Oscar-style contest where contestants can draft who they think the next OC is. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Bi- too bad we already... That's a great idea. Too bad we already did the bye week. Well, we can do that. That could be off-season fantasy Huskers. Yeah, the, the first week that we do a request line Friday, we're actually drafting who the next OC might be. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Because right now, your offensive coordinator, at least your was for this season 
was your wide receivers coach. It's going to be someone on the offensive side. Is it your quarterback's coach? Does your quarterback's coach become the offensive coordinator within all of that? How much play calling responsibility do they get? Because I don't want Scott Frost calling the place. Like that, that is in itself one of the most time consuming things to do right. is to call plays. And Scott Frost has to be looking at the entirety of the game. Now he can grab the headset and go, right now I want to do this. Of course, head coach is going to get to, to trump all decision making. But the, the general play calling as it goes on through the game, I don't want it to be in Scott Frost's hands. What do you do on the offensive side of the ball? Sean Becton, does he take over wide receivers as well as tight ends? That opens up a position because then you can also hire your your quarterback's coach, your offensive line coach, your running back coach, and a special, special teams, teams coordinator. Yeah. Drop that tag from Mike Dawson. So you actually have someone who is there just to get the kickers and the punters right and make sure that even if you do have a directional punt called, guys are coached up on, well, you still want to have a little bit of your lane in case that punt comes off wrong. So you're not just giving up touchdowns. Now, I will say this, even with the, the punt issues this year, coverage has been better. You know, there, there, there was obviously that issue um, with that Michigan State game. Mm-hmm. But overall, I would say coverage has been much better on special teams. It's just the specialists this year that have had some issues. Um, kickoffs have been great. Frankie just came in, said, oh, my job is just to boom the ball. Came in and just boomed the ball. But I do think you need to use one of those positions as a dedicated special teams coordinator with really no other responsibilities. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no doubt about that. Now, let me <laughs> ask you this. I think you were kind of, I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you were kind of, when we talked about this yesterday, you were kind of on the same page as me about what decision should be made, what decision is is the best. And, and you can expound on that. But it also it is also persuasive to me to look at the fact that Historically, when coaches have gotten four years and they haven't had success in, in Power Five and they've had records similar to Scott Frost, they generally, for the most part, haven't turned it around. And if they have, it was in a complete. Uh, it was within a program that was 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 mm-hmm. not ever a good, really, football program. Right, the Iowa States of the world, the Kansas States of the world. Uh, you know what Dan McCartney did at Iowa State, what Barry Alvarez did at Wisconsin is probably another one. That's an example of that. How do you how do you kind of balance those two things when you have come to the conclusion that you've come to? Because I struggle with that a little bit. So I'll say right off the bat, and although like Dirk went and put together all of the the stats, and we've all talked about it before on the fact that when guys haven't been successful for four, they're typically not successful going forward. But what are all of those data points from? Those data points are all pre-transfer portal being a one-time, you get to go for free. Okay, so you can turn something around a little bit quicker. Those are all pre-pandemic to where now you've got guys that can be in the program an extra year, at least the, the guys right now. So you can build a little bit more experience. Your foundation can be a little bit deeper. So although that data set is something that I think that you can look to and say that history tells us this might not work out, I'm also looking at it from the side of there's more going for Frost here 
than necessarily what history is telling us because this isn't something you, you can say that's a different situation. Yeah, it, it, it's enough of a different situation to me than anything <laughs> than anything that's necessarily happened. Is it because of what Ben said in part when he was talking about the whole moose situation and all well, of that? that, or that is it something I mean, else? that's been part of it, and that's something that that we heard that maybe there wasn't the the support structure. So that that's another thing going for Frost that's different than what he's had through his first, um, really his first three and a half years. And now you get through year four, you've got that support in place. The defense is obviously in a good spot. The offense is something that I think, no matter what the results were this year, they were going to have to look in the mirror. We've already seen the offense adjust. I don't think the offense that you've seen come in and there were some people thinking that maybe the offense could just take the Big Ten by storm and then everyone has to adjust. I'm sure Frost, at least at his opener press conference, thought that was going to be the case, and that hasn't been something that's um, been fulfilled. The offense, I think, is going to have adjustments next year. You've already seen the recruiting get bigger all the way across on the offensive line, on the wide receivers. Can you get running backs that are going to be like the guy from day one, even if it's two guys that are in a rotation? But does the offense become more run heavy? Do you have a quarterback come in th- from the transfer portal, whether or not Adrian comes back, like so that you legitimately have a one, two, maybe even a three quarterback? Because right now you don't have a two. You don't have a two at least that the court that the uh, that the coaching staff trusts to go in for a hobbled Adrian Martinez. There's a lot that can go right in 2022 without looking at what the history tells us. From a data standpoint, because the data is just different. Yeah, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what next year's roster looks like because what you're talking about with the transfer portal, with the recruiting class that's small right now and frankly not ranked very high, and then with people who have that option, you know, to come back and play or not play, and, and Adrian's not the only one. Now, I don't think you're going to see, frankly, I think Austin Allen and JoJo Doman are, you know, at, at, at very least. Well, you got Taylor the, Britt. the super seniors on defense. Those guys are going to be gone. I think Austin Allen's going to have enough good draft stock. Cam Taylor Britt, he has the option they could to come stay, back. But I don't think Allen Britt, JoJo, um, or is he a super senior? Uh, JoJo's a super senior. Okay, so he's gone no matter yeah, what. Yeah, he's gone no matter In what. In fact, he may not, there's a chance you may not see him again this year, I think. But yeah, we'll Deontay see. Williams, super senior. Yeah. And, and he's a guy that's been banged so up. Y- your, your defense, I mean, it, if it really is a put up or shut up year, you got to look at what your chances of putting up are, so to speak. It's still he's gone at that point. I mean, you got those linebacker, the linebacker core really returns for the most part. But on both sides of that, on the defense, you're going to be, there's going to be a decent amount of rebuilding. You would expect on the offensive side, the offensive line to stay fully intact. Here's what's weird the offense, they, almost everyone, Toure is the only one who has to leave next right. year. Here's the thing that's really weird on guys that are eligible to go to the draft. Cam Jurgens was eligible a year ago. He's a fourth-year sophomore. He technically has so two weird. more years of eligibility. That's crazy. He technically has a decision to make. Is is there someone who gets in his ear and says, hey, we like what you're doing, and we want to come develop you doing this? I think it would behoove him to stay. I, I've not seen enough hype for him to to try out the NFL draft, but that would still be a guy who technically can leave. What does that do to your offense? Because he's been the only guy at center. You've got plenty of guys that have decisions to make this year and next year because of how weird COVID makes everything. The fact that guys are draft eligible and we've seen them play like one year. Mm-hmm. Like does does Omar Manning 
like how things are going. Yeah. Does do do some of these guys? Here's the other thing about losing four of your coaches from the offensive side of the ball. Did any of these players have relationships with those coaches that it was a deeper relationship with that position coach than with the head coach of the program as a whole? Yeah. Do they want to go somewhere else because their position coach isn't here anymore? That's a decision some guys will make here in the next month. Yeah. Oh, it's going to yes, they're going to they're going to be believing people coming, but it you know, it'll be inter- interesting to see how that offense shakes out because it could it could look the same. I don't know. I just don't know if it will, and I don't know how much that it will either. Um, and then the question is, Caleb, I think an interesting one too is if it seems like a put up or shut up year next year. Okay, I think I think there's certainly, I think Trev may have a longer leash than some of us expect, but I also think there's absolutely a line where you just can't do it anymore right. if it falls apart next when year. When I see the national articles listing Scott Frost on the hot seat next year, I believe them. I haven't believed, I still didn't believe them this year. Even halfway through the year when they were saying he is on the hottest of hot seats, I was still saying, I don't think he's gone this year. And that, that ended up being what, what developed. But everything next year talking about hot seat, 100% believe He's right near the top. If you you've got to get something if done. You, I I don't know. Again, I know Trev. Again, may want to have a longer leash than we think, but I think three, four wins. I just don't think PR wise. I don't think fundraising wise, booster wise. I just don't think you're going to be able to to go after that. Maybe we'll see. Maybe I'll be wrong, but there, that it's not the poll is not going to look like it does right now if that happens. Okay, in terms of how many people want to want to right. Keep this him. poll feels like. Post election approval rating yeah. where it's super high. Exactly. <laughs> now, but here's the question I've got, Caleb, and I think it's an interesting one. We talked about the personnel on offense, but what about the coaching? Now, you got a whole slew of new assistants to hire now. And and you talked about how they're fit, how they might fit in and how it might end up being a, a special teams coach. But the question is is there going to be trepidation about coming here when it might be, it could be a one year gig? Is that what every assistant thinks about? Is that I mean I think I think that's a a question and one there's going to have to be a hard sell about the belief that things are getting right. Mm-hmm. Well, or the belief that maybe it's not a one year deal. Cuz typically you're you're moving a family for a job like this, you know? Like your family moves to Lincoln with you to come take right. this job. Right. Um it's 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 really not one where Hey, Dad's going to be gone for a few months. If it's a truly fifty-fifty <laughs> shot of being a one-year deal, you you think long and hard about. But that. here, here is where it gets difficult. It's harder to poach someone from a current position, unless it's a little bit of a step up for them. Mm-hmm. If there's the possibility of it being a one-year deal, not to say it's impossible, but it's definitely harder. Mm-hmm. Now, if there is someone who is out there job searching, someone who's currently without a job, or within the next three weeks they're without a job, that's an easier guy to go get. Or girl, there's there's girl coaches, but just in general, that's an easier coach to go get because they are currently jobless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that but could be, but but you've got at to least wait. it's something then. Like, it could like, be a building th- block. There are going to be options out there when we're looking at the possibility of grabbing offense offensive coordinator, but a quarterback, O line, running back, possibly special teams. There are guys out there, I believe, in a much bigger pool to grab from than what the head coach position would have been for next year. Here, okay, that's fair. Here's my other concern. At some point, Chenander's, I'm sure he will, is going to start getting some calls. He will. He'll he'll get calls this offseason. 
If, if, I think he already has. If, but he, yeah. if he's not already getting calls, especially because of what he can do on the defensive side of the ball, um, think about what non-Power 5 programs are going to say, oh yeah, if we could just put together a good defense, we can compete year in and year out, and he's going to know what he's doing. Um, it's the same reason Bo Pelini went and got a job at Youngstown right away. Not just because he's from that area, but they said, oh, we, we can do a defense, um, and we can have that going for us. Frank Solish went and said, uh, we're just going to make Ohio an annual Mac power. And that's why he won so many games there. Chenander has options. Does he want to continue to be the guy that's really keeping Nebraska in games? Mm-hmm. Because what you have to do now for Frost is he's not coaching for his job, but you got to put an offense out there that's going to make Chenander's job easier that he's going to want to stay. Even if he, Even if you end up saying, hey, we got to pay you more to keep you, He's doing such a good job on the defensive side of the ball. You need to not only keep him financially, you need to keep him from a happiness standpoint to make his job easier. Man, you don't want to lose him to a, to a head coaching job somewhere else because that that would really hurt that side of the ball. I think a fair question asked for the whole program is, what worked with the defense? Exactly. What worked with the defense, and can you translate that to the rest of the team? Right. Was it the chan- was it Chenander? Was it coaching? Was it personnel? Was it leadership? Was it scheme? Was it the other assistant coaches? What worked so well with this defense? Because let's be honest, we always thought that the defense was going to be a bit of an afterthought. Mm-hmm. That it was going to be Central Florida style boomer bust defense, <laughs> offense scores in three plays, and that's not. It's turned out to be kind of the opposite. Not to say that the offensive guys didn't like each other. They 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 all seem to like each other. But when you hear the defensive guys talk about each other, like that, they love each other. The players, yeah, the players, the the, the defensive players talk about each other and talk about their coaches. They one hundred percent love each other. Garrett Nelson was was almost crying talking about JoJo Doman following the game on Saturday. Yeah. These guys genuinely care how every one of their teammates is doing on that side of the ball. It's finding a way to translate that into the entirety of the team and have that same passion. And I don't know if that does change some of the results on the offensive side. Yeah. Well, we will see. We will see. And then, and then even before that, we got two more games left to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Wisconsin kickoff. That'll be 2.30. Iowa, 12.30. And how do these two outcomes impact public opinion about this? Do they at all? How does this change how the team plays? They're not referendum games anymore. Now go win them both. Yeah, that'd be great. That would be the best thing for everyone. <laughs> There's right only now. one thing left to do, <laughs> and you would spoil two potential. All right, that's it for the show. Thanks for all the contribution on the Scott Frost talk. Tomorrow we are back. It's a Wednesday. John Bishop is going to join us. He was one of the people who thought Nebraska should make a change. We'll see what he thinks about the news. Plus, what chaps your hide Wednesday as well. So we will. Uh, we'll get.